we did not set out to create a new technology or a new solution. Right? That was the furthest thing from my mind. And so started very early days on what exists on the market and how can we create a solution and bring it to folks like, like myself that really need it. We are increasingly busy. We forget to take pills or use creams as patches or patches as directed. It's hard to change consumer behavior, but we all get dressed every single morning, right? Clothing contacts our skin all day, every day. It's the perfect platform for solving health and wellness outcomes. We are a drug delivery system that's utilizing garments as a platform for delivery, but we're not ultimately creating or validating new drugs. Right? We're taking known therapeutic ingredients and delivering them more conveniently to a consumer. And, and that's really what sets us apart as a company. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about category creation. We're going to talk about moving from retail to D2C. And we're going to talk about protecting your IP and patent. It's a great episode you do not want to miss, so do stay tuned. Retail and e-commerce have witnessed an unprecedented transformation in the last decade. The widespread adoption of mobile technology, social media, as well as the lowered cost of cloud-based technology have not only eroded the barriers to entry in retail, but it's also led to the rapid rise and dominance of digital native product brands that sell directly to their customers. On this podcast, you'll get the scoop on customer acquisition and retention strategies employed by high-growth digital native product brands. Not being afraid to spend because you know that customer is going to pay it back uh, three or four-fold. That's when you start to unlock channels in the way that they were meant to be used. And Listen to interviews with experts at the forefront of technology and innovation in digital retail. Three years ago, they wouldn't have come to us because, yeah, the macro trend of cloud, Wi-Fi, broadband availability, that was a real, that was a real problem. Hear first-hand stories from founders of innovative direct-to-consumer brands. Although I was thinking about the competition, I was more thinking about, like, how do I just build a freaking successful business? We focus on driving as much traffic as possible, converting that traffic, uh, and then dumping money back into driving more traffic. These insights will help you consistently 2x growth in specific areas of your direct-to-consumer brand. This is the 2x e-commerce podcast, hosted by Kunle Campbell. As you continue to grow your e-commerce business, access to growth capital would increasingly play a significant role in achieving and surpassing your financial and social goals. Why should you give up equity or pay high interest rates to grow your business? There is a new way to access growth capital that transforms e-commerce businesses. Wayflyer has shaken the way e-commerce operators access working capital. With a dedication to only D2C e-commerce businesses, Wayflyer will fund you on a fairer fund-as-you-grow model, meaning if your sales slow down, so does the amount you transfer back. There's just a simple fee and the funds you need to grow are deposited to your account instantly. It's worth checking out on wayflyer.com. That's W-A-Y-F-L-Y-E-R. Hi, 2Xers. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast. I'm your host, Kune Campbell. The 2X e-commerce podcast is dedicated to digital commerce insights for retail. 
and e-commerce teams. Each week on this podcast, we interview either a e-commerce expert, a founder of a digital native consumer brand or representative from a best-in-class commerce SaaS product. We give them a very tight remit to give you ideas you can test right away on your brand so you can improve commerce growth metrics such as conversions, average order value, repeat customers, audience size, and ultimately your gross merchant value or sales. We are here to help you sell more sustainably. On today's episode, we're going to listen to an interview I had with Jordan Schindler. Jordan is a global thought leader in health wear on a mission to simplify health and wellness integrated into apparel. Very, very, very fascinating you know, product in terms of uh, new fabrics. As the CEO and founder of New Fabrics, Jordan has built the fastest growing company in Charlotte in, in this part of America. Um, he is a Deloitte Fast 500, second fastest growing pharmaceutical company in North America, and an INC 5000 top 50 fastest growing company in America. He was also the finalist at um, Ernest, Ernest Young's Entrepreneur of the Year 2021. Um, he's developed and launched a new category of health and wellness products, two eight figures in revenue and nationwide retail. Um, in, in, in stores, you know, such as Walmart, Walgreens, CVS, Amazon, and more. He's also, you know, gotten grants from the Department of Defense and MIT University. That's Massachusetts Institute of Technology University. And on today's episode, we talk about new, about Jordan's journey from college through to incepting New Fabrics back in 2014, the first few years of no revenue at all. They were just R&Ding, raised a little bit of capital, R&Ding, trying to build their prototype. And once they got their prototype, they just blew up. They ballooned, essentially. Um, this is definitely the story of a marathon, not a sprint. As I said, you know they've been around since 2014. Um, Jordan displayed a lot of discipline in this um, episode, a lot of fortitude and a lot of structured you know, thinking in terms of his ideas, not just his ideas, but how he's, he's been able to focus on one thing you know, over and over again till you know, he's, he's made progress to where they are now with 40 plus employees um, and really, really a force to reckon with, and, and not just their region, but in the whole health wear, um, you know, category. They've actually created this category where you don't need to um, essentially, um, you know, buy a, a pain ointment any longer. You just wear a brace, and that brace, you know, maybe it's an, a knee brace or an elbow brace, essentially dispenses the painkillers into your skin directly. How genius is that? So this is more innovative and um, they come from more or less a, a retail background. So when they got to, when they launched to market, they went through retailers initially and now they're making a transition direct to consumers. So we talk about that transition. Typically on this show, we, we typically talk about the transition from direct to consumer to retail in, in many cases as, as what is happening right now. Um, but theirs is the reverse. It's just spun on its head and it's really retail to D to C. Phenomenal episode. Um, it's an omni channel. He has an omni channel mindset, as you can imagine. And um, yeah, they're really, really ambitious. So enjoy this episode 
and I shall catch you on the other side. Cheers. The 2X e-commerce podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo gives you the tools to get going faster. That is why it's trusted by over 50,000 e-commerce brands like Brooklinen, Non, and Chubby's. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit klaviyo.com forward slash 2x to create your free account. That is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com forward slash 2x. Hi guys, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast. I'm your host, Kune Campbell. On today's episode, um, I'm super excited, super, super excited. So typically we speak with entrepreneurs that um, are like D2C or e-commerce maximalist. Now this brand we're about to listen, well, hear about, find out from the founder, Jordan Schneider, is it's called New Fabrics. And they're quite unique in the sense that um, they're a drug delivery apparel company. So think about like sleeves, you know, um, like your, your ankle sleeve or your elbow sleeve or your wrist sleeves. Um, they typically, you typically wear them because you're trying to, to either protect, um, that particular joint or you're trying to, um, you know, heal from, um, from, from, from injury, right? What their company has been able to do essentially is to infuse medicine. So drugs like paracetamol, like um, ibuprofen or neurofine. Um, I think you guys call it Advil in, in, in the US, um, anti-inflammatory drugs essentially into, or any sorts of drugs, whether supplements or you know painkillers into these fabrics. And um, you essentially wear the fabrics, the, the sleeves or compression sleeves rather, instead of like applying, um, you know, um, cold therapy creams or, you know, um, heat therapy creams or pain creams on those joints. So it's essentially a, a wearable drug, <laughs> you know? So, um, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Jordan for, you know, bringing this super innovative, um, you know, solution to, to the market. Welcome Jordan. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I think that was a, a perfect summary. So I think we're, we're done. We've got it covered now. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's it's incredible. So you guys are you're patented. Um, it's it's called Healthware Technology. Is that is that correct? That, that's exactly right. Yeah, we we've developed a patent okay. on how to embed medicine into clothing. Interesting. Very very interesting. And just out of the blue, a question: How how big is your R and D? Um, what what do you guys do from a product development standpoint? It seems like a very product development driven as a as a brand and company. Yeah, so we have a number of PhD drug delivery scientists on staff. We have our own drug delivery lab on actually how we develop new active ingredients and put those into garments. And so we have a collaboration with our local university here in, in North Carolina on testing, validation, and ultimately launching products into the market that we think can help people solve patient clients. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Jordan, uh, we're, we're going to jump into your go-to-market strategy, you know, how you guys are, you know, thinking about retention, how you're actually implementing retention and, and all of that good stuff, you you know, but I want to really know who Jordan is. What, what is your backstory? Where did you grow up? Um, what kind of childhood did you have? 
and how did that link to say say college? Yeah, let, let's do it. Um, so I, I grew up in Arizona in Tucson, uh, sort of middle class, upper middle class. Um, mom is a family doctor and my dad runs uh, a number of nonprofits in Arizona for teen moms and foster kids and one one younger brother. So I grew up in the, the hot desert of Arizona and very much remember at an early age going to garage sales and lemonade stands and trying to sell products and make an extra buck or two. I can't, couldn't even count on one hand how many random one-off businesses mowing lawns I tried to, to start and create and convince my parents that they didn't need this or that possession um, and they wanted me to sell it. So fortunate to have a, a very supportive family that I guess put up with that for, for lack of better words. Uh, parents and family love, love to travel, so very fortunate from, from that regard. I remember I was probably... 12 or 13, we took an early trip to Hong Kong and sort of astounded by this electronics market and somehow convinced my parents uh, to let me buy a couple MP3 players in, in the early days and let me try to sell sell them on eBay and then push my luck. And sort of lo and behold, was able to, to take those products and, and make a couple bucks selling them on eBay. And that actually led to uh, a business with some, some friends in middle school and high school on buying and reselling MP3 players from China. In, in the U.S. market. And so really always had a passion for, for entrepreneurship and knew that's what I wanted to do. Right? I didn't know what I wanted to do, but knew that that's where I got energy and that's what was was fun for me. That's really my, my personality trait is entrepreneurship. Incredible, incredible. So an entrepreneurial family too. Yeah, for, yeah, definitely. Um, and from there, I... Uh, Tried to find the polar opposite of, of Arizona and the, the sunshine and the heat. And so I went to, to college in Seattle, uh, where you can get a lot of overcast and rain and just had a blast. Went to University of Washington up there and for no particular reason other than it was very different from Arizona. Um, and so had a great couple of years of college and sort of that's where the idea for New Fabrics came from is sitting in my dorm room one day. And, and it's a, it's a cliffhanger. (laughs) (laughs) And so one day I was sort of just thinking to myself, right. And suffering from, from bad skin as a lot of college kids do and wondering what the problem was, right. Using creams and using pills and really not having much luck and ultimately decided to go to the dermatologist and was informed that my pillowcases we're actually one of the leading contributors of my acne. So dirt and oil builds up on your pillowcase, clogs your pores as you mm-hmm. sleep. And ultimately his recommendation to me was wash my pillowcase two to three times per week, which as you can imagine as a college age male was absolutely never going to happen. Um, we are uh, almost a decade later and it's still not going to happen. But uh that, that's really what got me thinking about how do you create a benefit from a garment or fabric, something that contacts your skin all day, every day. And so that's really where the foundation for new fabrics in this healthcare category came from is trying to solve a personal need. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. And, and what were the next steps after that? So, okay, so you're like, there are skill ailments, you know, there are issues that happen to, to, to our skin and um, there is the possibility of um, 
dispensing or solving these problems with fabrics that touch our skin on a regular basis. When you're in that situation, where do you go? What are the next steps? Are you going to research, you know, are you going to university, you know, um, papers? Are you going to research through through papers online? Um, or um, are you going to um, to trade shows? Um, are you speaking to dermatologists, for instance? So what, what were the next steps to towards, um, you know, um, just getting that version one out there? I think it's a lot of what you touched on, right? I started researching Pat to see what technology existed in the market. And fortunately, he was connected with a PhD drug delivery scientist who was using sort of drug delivery technology, but for inside of the body. And so he thought he had a way to apply that into, into garments and fabric. So we actually teamed up early days on how do you actually deliver medication through garments and looking at what technology existed on the market. And then it's it's a lot of what you said, right? It's It's researching... Fortunately, at our university, we had a lot of good publications. We had a lot of good professors that I spent time talking with um, and really researching what technology existed on the market. We did not set out to create a new technology or a new solution. Right? That was the furthest thing from my mind. And so started very early days on what exists on the market and how can we create a solution and bring it to folks like, like myself that really need it. Hmm. And so, and at the time, what was the picture of, of what was was what was on the market at the time? Yeah, there was an existing technology that's existed for thirty or forty years called micro encapsulation, and that's a lot of what you you still see in the market today. It's actually what makes scratch and sniff stickers smell. It's basically a capsule that's applied to a material or a fabric, and so that that's where we started. Um, actually, took a trip down to to China to Guangzhou and. Uh, was trying to figure out how we actually get a product made. So I was researching on Alibaba, connected with a, a manufacturer overseas and flew out there to try to figure out if they could apply this existing technology to, to fabric and to pillowcases. And that was really where we were trying to start from a product standpoint. So from there, that's really what, what sparked this development journey and development cycle of hmm. met with a manufacturer, um, who sort of, this is a funny aside, but we had been communicating online through Alibaba chat. And so they, their English is perfect. So I, I flew over there and assumed that they would speak English and sort of very naive young entrepreneur. No one spoke any English. I don't know why I assumed they would, but it was uh, all sort of over translation chat. So they picked me up at the train station. And we both sort of looked at each other and, and said nothing. Um, eventually we were able to, to communicate better, just sort of passing a phone back and forth on, on the translation side. But we ended up getting an, an early product made uh, using this technology. It was manufactured overseas in China. It took, sort of, I don't know, probably two or three years, and we launched our, our first pillowcase product. And it was a, a pillowcase product with, with tea tree oil and lavender for your skin. So we we launched that from, a, from an e-commerce perspective on, on our website. And Thought we were done. Thought, thought it was going to be a, a home run, but uh, I think there was a, a a lot to be learned there for sure. And then, what about the offering for the pillow? Was was it like an internal pillowcase, or was it a p- pillowcase with with different designs? Did it have a bed set, for instance, or um, was it a pillow set a pillowcase you put in a pillowcase, or was it a pillowcase? Yeah, it was. It was a pillowcase to go on the outside of a pillow. It was a a, a bamboo pillowcase. Uh-huh. That, that we started with and we actually had our, our logo embroidered on it, which actually ended up being a negative because people didn't want to brush up against sort of raised 
uh, thread on their on their pillowcase. So that was a, a, a separate learning. But very quickly, we realized that it was not the right solution for the market. Um, and, it, and it hinged on these two fundamental questions, right? We all, would always get these two questions from consumers on how long does this pillowcase with medicine last? And what dose of medicine is actually being delivered to me as a user? Two fundamental questions, and we could, we could never answer them, right? And we could never find an existing technology where you could deliver the same dose of medication as a cream, pill, or patch. And so that's where we removed the product from the market. We paused and said, this isn't going to work, right? Back to the drawing board. And so then regrouped and really tried to figure out how we can solve for those two questions and that that was really what was missing in the marketplace. And so mm-hmm. then we started doing some research. I started doing some research and the venture was fortunate enough to get connected to uh, an incubator of sorts in North Carolina where most U.S. made garments are made called Manufacturing Solutions Center and very quickly realized that was where we had to be. And it was they have $50 million worth of textile testing, moisture wicking, abrasion, stretch, you name it, right? All the things that are super important to a garment, but the consumer des- doesn't necessarily think about it when they buy a pair of socks or a t-shirt. And so we, mm-hmm. we set up shop there in North Carolina and, and got to work, right? On how do we actually build a technology that can deliver the same milligram dose as using a cream? Because if, if you can't do that, it's not a replacement, right? It's not a true drug delivery vehicle. And it's ultimately not solving a problem for consumers, right? If they can't replace their traditional medicine cycle, uh, you really haven't solved for anything. And so that, that was what brought us back to the drawing board where we spent the next five years trying to actually develop that technology. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, you're going, you, you had initial sort of feedback um, from, from the pillowcase, um, you know, um, you know, product you brought mm-hmm. it out to the market. So what was the timeline between um, taking the pillowcases out off market and, and then the first iteration of um, the, the, the more functional, um, you know, um, drug delivery, um, you know, um, driven, um, you know, products? A, a lot longer than I would have thought. Uh, four to five years at, at, at least um, before we could actually get the technology to work. And it, it was really, and I sort of probably underestimated the complexity, right? But you have to merge two very dis- distinct industries, right? You have to merge pharmaceuticals, which has all of the regulatory compliance, right? We manufacture in clean rooms. You have to be able to deliver consistent dose every hour as you're wearing the garment. But you have to combine that with all of the complexities of textiles, right? It has to stretch. It has to wick away moisture. It has to be comfortable. You have to produce it at scale. And so to merge these two things together was was quite difficult. Um, Someone asked me if I would start this business again in these categories. And I said, absolutely not. Right. Like we pick two very complex industries that oftentimes are not combined together. And there's a reason for that. Right. Like traditional textiles, if you get a little too much white or black yarn in a garment, it's not the end of the world. Right. But if you get too much of what we call our active yarn, suddenly you're out of compliance with the FDA, right? I use the analogy of a bottle of aspirin, right? Like if, if that bottle is supposed to have 100 pills and it shows up with 96, right? Like you have a big problem. That, that doesn't work. Yeah. You can't launch that product to market. And so it was part product development. And it was also part supply chain, right? How do we integrate these two very different supply chains? And so it ended up taking four and a half, five years before we could actually get 
a technology and a product to work. And, and ultimately, right, that created this technology where we can deliver a controlled dose of vitamins, supplements, medications through your clothing, and that's effective through 15 plus wash cycles. So I can tell you exactly how many milligrams are delivered every hour as you're wearing the garment. Right? And that's ultimately what sets us apart. Yeah, and, and I'm guessing because it's compression, it's it's going to touch every bit of of the garment is going to touch your skin. So you're you're very very, you have a high degree of accuracy in regards to the, the dispensation or dispensing the drugs into the skin. On like a a pillow where you know I might lay my head on there, depending on how I sleep, it might end up on my shoulder. You know, there's there's just so much leeway. Um, that the accuracy from from a pillow might might not necessarily be there. Yeah, that that's exactly right. And so we think about it as milligrams per square inch or square square centimeter of a garment. It's a surface area calculation. And so we use the analogy of like pixels on a screen. With that precision, you can pinpoint where each yarn goes in the garment. And so in our case, right, think about a t-shirt. You might only want pain relief in the shoulders and the lower back. And so our active yarn is only five or 10% of that total garment positioned wherever you need it. And so we can combine it with your standard cotton, nylon, polyester, wool to create whatever use case people want in the marketplace. And so ultimately we created this platform that sits at the intersection of apparel and drug delivery. And ultimately that's the value that we're bringing to the marketplace. Super interesting. And has there been attention from like the the medical industry? So you can imagine in in hospitals, um, you know, say I'm undergoing um, you know um, rehabilita- rehabilitation, you know, physical rehabilitation off the back of an accident, for instance, on my knee. Um, rather than having to to take drugs or um, you know rub creams locally. I just wear a Steve while I'm in the hospital or while I'm rehabilitating at home. Um, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense, particularly if it has to be, you know, administered at a certain point in time. Have you got any interest there or has it been predominantly um, been just customers, you know, um, the general market? No, we, we get a lot of interest from, from the medical side. And to, to your point, right, ultimately what we're solving for is patient compliance. We are increasingly True. busy we forget to take pills or use creams as patches or patches as directed. It's hard to change consumer behavior, but we all get dressed every single morning, right? Clothing contacts our skin all day, every day. It's the perfect platform for solving health and wellness outcomes. And that's really what we've created from a healthware perspective. And so you think about post-surgical as a really good application area, right? So we're talking with active uh, pharmaceutical partners, right? You imagine branded ingredients. It's like we talked about, right? Advil, Tylenol, that go that you can deliver through a sleeve. And it's also branded garments, right? You can imagine Nike, Under Armour, Lululemon. And we really are combining these two things, right? It's a Lululemon garment with Advil. It's a Nike sock with Lamisil Athletes foot medication, right? And, and, and that's really this, mm-hmm. this intersection of which New Fabrics plays. Super interesting. Okay, so let's go back to um question I've been itching to ask you is 45 yeah. years. How did you survive? You know, what did you do? Did you have funding for, for the R and D? Was it a side gig? A lot of a lot of ramen and a supportive family. 
Um, Fair enough. So we, we, we raised some early capital, call it friends and family, uh, some small angel groups that I think kept us going, right? It, it kept the lights on. Was I taking a salary? No, right? I was taking enough, enough money to live and, and that's it. Um, but it, it allowed us to use the analogy of swim to the next buoy, right? What's that next inflection point that you're trying to get to? And from there, maybe the world looks a little different, right? And maybe a couple more opportunities open up and then you swim to the next buoy, right? And so that, that's what I use a lot as I think about opportunities for, for our business. Um, so I think it was early capital. We were fortunate. We also got a, a grant from Department of Defense. So through a, an MIT run organization called the FOA, there's a lot of military applications of, of what we're doing, right? You think about mm. soldiers hiking 40 or 50 miles a day, with heavy backpacks mm. on, right? Like they don't want to carry mm. extra weight or extra medicine. They're certainly not going to stop in the middle of a battlefield and rub a cream on their foot. And, and so whether it's a pain reliever in a uniform, a stimulant to keep soldiers awake or antifungal for different battlefield conditions, there's a lot of inherent interest as well on the military side. And so that early funding actually kept kept the lights on as well and, and kept us building uh, building the dream. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's just having the staying power for you know for, for that long also yeah. is is commendable. It's commendable. So um paint us a picture after um you know the, the RD was complete and, and you had a proper like your version two. Yeah, and I think the, the staying power was I probably didn't know any better. Right. If you're looking at it day one and five years, that that's very different from ah, this will only be two or three more months. Right. And I think it's the eternal optimist uh, entrepreneurial mindset that I think a lot of us have that that really kept it going. So after that point, right, ultimately what we had was what we call an active yarn. So we were able to put vitamins, supplements, medications into yarn that we could then control the rate of delivery to correlate to a milligram dose. And so we had a clean room that we were manufacturing in. Our products were registered with the FDA. They fall under the monograph for topical analgesia. And ultimately we could prove here was the dose that was being delivered every hour as you're wearing that garment. And then what we created was this package of pain relief yarn or moisturizing yarn that could then flow into the supply chain and be knit into any garment. So it looks, feels, and performs very similar to any other cotton or polyester or nylon yarn. And that yarn could then be precisely positioned in a sock or in a knee sleeve or in a t-shirt or in yoga pants. And ultimately we provide that a tech pack and then we contract out all, all the garment production. So we're a, a technology company, right? Mm-hmm. We are a, a drug delivery system that's utilizing garments as a platform for delivery but we're, we're not ultimately creating or validating new drugs, right? We're taking known therapeutic ingredients and delivering them more conveniently to a consumer. And, and that's really what sets us apart as a company. And um, with, with the first iteration or with this iteration, did you, was it, was it paracetamol? Was it tyno? Yeah, as a cap, capsaicin is the active ingredient that we use. It's, um, a potent topical analgesic like a, a menthol or an ibuprofen. Very, very similar classification on the market. It's actually, we chose to use a natural ingredient. It comes from chili peppers. It's actually what makes chili peppers hot, but it's a, a known therapeutic safe ingredient. And that's really where we wanted to start. Okay. 
very, very, very interesting. Very interesting. And um, now you had the product. What was your go-to-market strategy at the time? So our go-to-market, I think, was who wants it, right? I don't know that we had a very clearly defined go-to-market strategy. We we tried to uh, talk to anyone and everyone who would listen to us. And, and ultimately, that broke loose a meeting with Walmart, Walmart buyer, and flew down to Bentonville and sat down with the buyer. And in two minutes, the buyer goes, I get it. There's this huge correlation between people buying braces and pain creams. Why not put these two things together? And so for, for better or worse, they rolled the product out to every store, right? They didn't even run a test. And from there, we were able to parlay that success into relationships with Target and Walgreens and, and CVS. And so we really did the reverse, right? We started with retail and then we went actually back and, and did the e-commerce and used that awareness to drive our e-commerce brand building. What insights did you get from, from retail? You know, having rolled out Walmart and I believe from my notes, you, you, you're in Target, CVS. So, so you're, you're in key retail outlets. And what aisle do you sit in? Do you sit in the, in the, in the medicines and the pharmaceutical aisle or what? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And today we are in the elastics. So we're by the, the sleeves and the braces, but we're actively talking to OTC, to sports and apparel, right? To, to first aid. This product could be positioned in a lot of different parts of, of the retail store. And we're fortunate, right? It's actually turned into one of the fastest growing new products in the category. We've been very fortunate that consumers see the value here, right? Because they don't now have to buy two products. They don't have to buy a sleeve and a tube of pain cream, right? It's it's one product. It's one solution. It's not sticky. It's not messy. And you just put it on in the morning and you don't have to worry about it. And so ultimately, mm -hmm. it, it helps solve for, for patient compliance. And so from there, we've learned a whole lot about what consumers want, what consumers don't want, right? And, and also what control over that information we have through a retail partner. I think it's, it's very different working with Walmart than it is working with our own website or working with Amazon, right? And that interaction that we have with, with consumers. But I think we were, we were talking about this early on, right? It's in three seconds, does a consumer understand what we do, right? And, and we have to continue to evolve and educate consumers on this new category of, of healthware products. So, so how did the retailer like Walmart help you with customer education? Did they give you like an enhanced, um, you know, um, space in the aisle? Did they give you any opportunities to demo um, new fabrics or did, did they give you display, you know, additional display to, to just um, graphic display to, to, to just show that call to action or did they just leave you as another brace and then you had to do all the work with packaging? Yeah. I mean, day one, it was nothing. I think as we've continued to build that relationship, we've gotten more of that, but day one, it's, do you guys prove this out, bring customers into the store and let's hope that this thing sells. And so it was sort of a crash course in how do we bring consumers into a store, educate them on what we do, right? I spent a lot of time sitting in the aisle at Walmart, right? Talking to customers, trying to understand what they wanted, what they were looking for and what they understood or didn't understand about the solution that we were trying to offer. And then we did a lot of work on the packaging side, right? Showcasing it to consumers, trying to get feedback, I think was, was very critical in terms of the evolution of, of what we've done. And it's, it's grown steadily over time as we've learned, but it certainly didn't start off that way. Mm -hmm. So, so what key insights can you give listeners, um, to, towards, um, you know, thriving in, in a retail space? 
I think a lot of it is how are you educating consumers on the opportunity, right? So today, if a consumer is already in the store, they tend to choose our product because it's a more cost-effective solution. But are consumers actively going to the store looking for healthware or drug-infused garments, right? In most cases, they're not. In most cases, they don't know about us. And so we've really had to be very cognizant about how we can educate the market and how we can drive people into a retail store. And so we're doing that through a wide variety of different things, right? We're still a small company, right? We don't have unlimited resources. And so we looked at where are the opportunities that we can think outside the box? Where can we have the biggest impact? So like, for example, we did a a program with our local baseball team, the Charlotte Knights called the Hall of Pain, right? And if what what we did was this program where when a player is hit by a pitch, they actually get inducted into the New Fabrics Hall of Pain and they get free New Fabrics products. And we, and we give some to, to fans and we say, hey, scan the QR code, products available on our website and in these retail partners. And so it's, it's really how can you do guerrilla marketing activities the same way you do in e-commerce to drive awareness about what we do. And, and we've done that through partnerships with sports teams. We've tried to do it through initial tests on connected TV, with influencers, with social media. It's really this holistic strategy and looking at the data and what works and what doesn't. And and that tends to shift and change over time. And one of the things that sets small businesses apart is that they can move faster than big ones, right? That's, that's a huge advantage, right? And there's all this new technology out there. So test, iterate, learn, see what works and what doesn't work and and make quick decisions. And that's probably the best advice I can, I can give anybody. Let's take this quick break to hear from our sponsors. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly 500 billion by 2025. As a fast-growing area in commerce, subscriptions hold tremendous opportunities to build a community of customers who share your values. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale subscription offerings. Recharge powers the growth of over 15,000 subscription merchants and their communities, turning one-time transactions into long-term customer relationships. Whether you're a direct-to-consumer business or an omni-channel brand, subscriptions strengthen the brand relationships with your customers and make it easy for customers to make repeat purchases. With subscriptions, merchants are able to experience predictable revenue, increased customer loyalty, and higher average order values. Turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Get started today with a subscription payment solution trusted by over 50 million subscribers worldwide by heading over to rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. That is rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. Did you know that loyal customers are nine times more likely to convert compared to a first-time shopper? That's why exceptional customer service is so important for your retention and growth. I recommend using Gorgeous, the leading help desk for Shopify, Magento, and big commerce merchants. Gorgeous combines all your communication channels, including email, SMS, social media, live chat, 
and phone into one platform. This saves your team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. It also integrates seamlessly with your existing tech stack so you can access customer information and even edit, return, refund, or create an order right from your help desk. To learn more, go to gorgeous.com. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S.com and mention 2X e-commerce podcast for two months free. That is gorgeous.com for two months free. Just mention 2X e-commerce. So, so in medicine, you know, um, doses matter, you know, so if, you know, I don't know if I've, if I had a, a quite severe fracture, um, the, the amount of painkillers I would need would differ from, you know, someone who's had a sprain. Um, wh- what is, how, how do you sort of solve that problem, you know, in terms of um, adjusting to, to, to various um, degrees of pain? And I think with, that speaks with, with products. Yeah. And I think that speaks to sort of early days, what we learned with a pillowcase, right? It's like with an existing technology, you couldn't, right? It was a, a one size fits all model. Today, because this is a technology we've developed, we can actually control the dose in, in two very distinct ways. One is how much medication actually goes into that yarn. And then two is how much of that yarn actually goes into a garment. So do we want our yarn to be 5% just in the ankle or in the toes, right? Or do we want it to be 20% or 50% right throughout that whole sock? And so you can have now, right, extra strength version that actually has more medicine loaded into it. So again, I use the analogy of a bottle of aspirin, right? Like do you want to have 50 pills in that bottle or do you want to have 100? And, and what strength of those pills do you want to have? And those are all levers that we can pull with our technology based on the yarn itself. And so imagine, right, a transdermal patch as a closest analogous technology is you can have bigger or smaller patches, right? You can have patches with more or less medication. And we're able to adjust that based on the polymer chemistry and the technology we've developed. So, so obviously that is easier to deploy direct, direct consumer rather than um, through retail partners. Is is that one of your reasons you're going direct now? I mean, you've been direct for for how long now? Eighteen months or twelve months? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I think it's you can offer more products, right? You have a more direct interaction with consumers, and I think they they both have their their values, right? I think there's specific products that do really well in retail. And I think there's specific products that need more education or we need more sizes or we need more colors where you just don't have the number of pegs in a retail store to do that. And so we look at retail as that storefront. It's the awareness builder. And then that consumer can go back to e-commerce channels, right? Or they can now access our other product lines, right? Think about us again as this platform. So that customer that's looking for a pain solution might also have acne, right? They might have eczema. They might have psoriasis. They might have trouble sleeping. And so... We can now create awareness and introduce them to all these other products in the in the healthware product portfolio. Makes sense. Makes sense. So you're looking at other channels, really, as, as almost showrooms, but you know, functional showrooms that actually sell parts of your portfolio. And then the when they come direct to you, you offer the the full experience essentially. And I think retail is, is a phenomenal way to learn, right? I think you have this incredible distribution channel and access to consumers we never would have, right? I think there's a lot of consumers that'll shop in a Walmart that never would shop on our website, right? Or, or, or vice versa. And so it's, it's really access and providing a solution to customers that I think we can really help. Um, and it's, it's also, you learn a whole lot, 
right? I think there's there's different demographics of consumers. One packaging or one way we talk about our product might work in retail and it might not work on e-commerce. Um, and, and I think there's ways that we can talk to consumers. And I think there's ways that we can actually get much more clarity around how to position the technology. Again, when you walk into a store, you're surrounded by packaging, right? You have two or three seconds to identify the message. Whereas someone goes to your website, you probably have a little more time than that, right? You can have them click on a video or you can have them scroll through the pages. And so it's, it's actually caused us to be very crystal clear on our messaging, um, which has helped focus across everything that we do. Mm, mm, mm. How long have you been in, in Walmart for? Uh, this will be our third year coming up. Third year. And how do you solve the challenge of getting customer feedback and you know just data and just customer sentiment beyond sales volume? I think there's two ways to do it. I think the first is we try to engage at a very high level with the retail partner. So beyond just talking with the buyer, right, we're talking to heads of health and wellness. We actually had the Walmart team came to visit us a couple of weeks ago at our facility in person, right? And, and that's really where you get a lot of those insights, right? They say, hey, here's where the general trend lines are going. Hey, we haven't seen a lot of innovation in first aid or in foot care. Could you do a partnership with antifungal socks? We'd like to carry that in mm -hmm. our store or, hey, right, we're seeing that the wrist sleeve is actually outperforming the knee sleeve. Could you do innovation here? Could you do X, Y, Z here? And so it's really engaging at a much higher level with the retail partners to try to get some of those insights because um, they have so much more data than we do and than we ever will. Right. Yeah. And so to, to yeah. learn from that is an incredible gift and an incredible wealth of knowledge that's allowed us to better refine and design our product. So it's, it's really treating them as a collaborative partner. And, and, and that's really yeah. what's, what's made the difference for us at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. No one ever really, at least on this show, really speaks to the fact that if you're speaking to, to, to a head of a category, you know, in a retail, in a retail store, they're not just interacting with your brand because you could have a head of product in your brand uh, that's collecting customer data, collecting, you know, uh, in, in various ways, you know, from from surveys to 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 to, to first and zero party data. However, um, it's it's not in comparison to to more macro trends or category level trends, unless if you know they do more research. But you know, in in that environment where they're getting data from all other products they can kind of give you a gauge on where you your your performance lies in in comparison to to every other you know um item in that particular category so that's super super insightful and then you could take that and sort of apply to your insights dtc and you know um that that i i yeah i'll just freak out with with, with all of that not freak out but i'll just be so happy with with all that kind of data you know um because you could make better decisions you know um as as an operator and, and not to mention as well, right, is like all of these retailers have their own e-commerce platforms, right? So walmart.com, right? Rivaling Amazon now, walgreens.com. And so they can now actually mix and match, right, that e-commerce data to retail, right? They might see, all right, well, in-store data is slipping, but knee sleeves for e-commerce is way up. And so we've, we've actually been able to partner with them on directed spend programs, right? So in the US, we have HSA and FSA, right? Insurance reimbursable. And so there's all sorts of really interesting programs that you can parlay one versus the other that give you really interesting customer insights. Whereas on our own website, right, we just have one part of the picture, right? And, and now we can actually get this broader piece of the puzzle.
Yeah, yeah. Which takes me to other multi-channel platforms um, like like Amazon. Are you active on on, on Amazon.com and, and other marketplaces? We, we are. We've, we've recently launched Amazon, I think, uh, to your comment about a showroom, right? People go and use Amazon as a validation tool, right? And so I think you have to have a presence on Amazon. It's great for people to be able to read reviews and see what uh, people think of the products. And then ultimately, they might buy on Amazon. They might buy on our website, right? They might buy on walmart.com. So we really have the gamut of uh, different e-commerce platforms that we sell on. Ultimately, would we love people to go directly to our website? We, we certainly would, right? Where we can control the experience, we can educate consumers, um, and we can try to create that lifetime value of the consumer, right? That, that's our goal. But I think we fully recognize that one, not all consumers want to buy on our website, right? They may have more be comfortable buying on Amazon or on uh, walmart.com. And that, that's totally fine. And for us, it's trying to tailor the offerings to each partner. Right? So on our website, maybe we're the ones that have multiple sizes, right? Where there's not enough retail pegs in a store for us to ever do that, right? Or maybe it's different mm-hmm. colors, or maybe it's, we launch a new ingredient that a retailer doesn't want to carry. And that's where we can mm-hmm. really get creative and build out very good relationships with our customers. And, and we try to have very direct interactions of, hey, what's working? What's not? Did, this, did you like this? Did you not? And that's ultimately how we can get better at the end of the day. And, and that's what it's about is, how do we make the best possible products for, for customers and how do we simplify their health and wellness issues? Mm-hmm. And you can pass those insights to retail teams and say, Hey, this has worked direct. This might work in, in your environment. You know, this is the data and yeah, it's like a testing environment also in, in two ways. It, it, it's all that sort of feedback loop and one feeds the other, the more prongs you have, the more irons in the fire and all of these different verticals, the better off you can be. And if you're right. The retailers will say, great. How's this performing on your own website? Right. Okay. Oh, this is our top selling product on our website. All right. Let's carry that in store. Right. Or how is this performing on Amazon? Hmm, not that well. Okay. Right. Maybe we need to look at price point. And it, it really is that sort of full circle approach where one feeds the other. Hmm. So, so what, what, what is the plan? What, what is the five-year plan with the new fabrics from a, from a channel standpoint, where where do you where do you intend to have a, a a head or a lead channel, or do you prefer it to be more distributed where no channel you know takes more than twenty five percent of um, of revenue? I think it's important to have a distributed channel to reduce risk. I think any one channel is is hard to control, right? Retail, right? Like the retailer could go out of business, right? Or they could choose not to carry your products, or they could. XYZ could happen, right? And, and I think the same for Amazon. Amazon could say, hey, this product category doesn't work anymore. They launch a competitor, right? Or your product gets a bunch of complaints, whatever it is, right? I think there's all of these different verticals that have their own challenges. And so by having multiple opportunities, I think you really spread out the risk profile. And so it's not that, hey, 90% of our business is coming from Walmart, right? It's how do we have 30, 30, 30? Right, or, or whatever those numbers are and, and really spread out the risk, but also spread out the opportunities and use all three of those to feed each other, right? Because at the end of the day, we get the same question, right? From a retailer is how's e-commerce doing and vice versa, right? Any e-commerce partner is going to say, how's retail doing? Because they know that they all feed each other, right? It's, it's broad awareness in the marketplace. And that's when we look at TV ads, right? Or we look at Google search or we look at influencers, right? It's, 
it's not just once, right? I can't remember what the statistic is, right? But a person has to see your ad six times before they'll actually act on it, right? And and what, who who knows will they act, right? Maybe they'll be in a Target, or maybe they'll actually be on Amazon. But it's it's really the, all right. They've seen it this many times. Now they're going to buy it. So they all they all feed each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. So you've you've not been D two C for for a long while, like you know, uh, as long as you've been in retail and in Walmart. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's comparable. You, I'd say half. You've been in Walmart um, or bricks and mortar for for about three years. Um, you know, e commerce just over a year now. Um, what what have been your big takeaways selling D to C that you think um, listeners will will benefit from? Um, just so they don't make huge mistakes. What 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 from a first rather from a first principle standpoint? Um, you know what should they really be aware of um, in in a D two C environment? What what are the nuances and um, you know key principles to 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 live by selling D two C? I think the biggest one for us, and especially coming from retail, right, is that with D2C, we control the experience, right? You control the data. You control how that customer interacts with you. And, and that's really been the, the biggest learning for us is we can test stuff. We can get direct customer feedback, right? We can actually learn. We can implement new technologies very quickly, right? And, and, and so for us, that has been the biggest selling point or the biggest advantage of using our e-commerce website is you can really create that long-term interaction with the customer and then, hey, right, that customer that bought our pain product, we're launching this new innovation, right? We've now partnered with XYZ Pain Brand to launch this new product category. What do you think? And so it's really an opportunity to test, to iterate, to launch new products a lot faster because now we've got a database of 35,000 email lists, right, where we can send an email the next hour if I wanted to, right? To consumers saying, hey, is this a product you would buy? What price point would you buy it at? And so it's allowed us an opportunity to get very smart about what our customers want, how they think about this category. And, and ultimately for us, it's it's educating the market in a way that we can control, right? Through Amazon, the retail, we can't always control what the messaging is or what products are next to us, right? Or how our customer sees it, but you can on an e-commerce and you can swap that out and test and learn and iterate really quickly. And, and I'll go back to something we were talking about earlier, right? Is what sets small businesses apart, right? Like they can react a lot faster. There's so many cool new technologies in the e-commerce space. And so as much as possible, test, iterate, right? Try new things. Just, if it doesn't work, throw it away and try something new. Where it's 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 very hard to do that through some of these other channels, and and then the other thing we've learned right is like really trying to use the lens of what insights do we have that nobody else has, right? And and so for us, I think we've got a unique perspective on the intersection of traditional drug delivery and textiles, right? We've spent the last ten years trying to build that out, and so using that lens on what new technologies do we think customers want. Right. What new applications, what new product concepts? And so for us, as it relates to clothing, right, like what clothing can have the most impact on a consumer? Right. Where are traditional medicines hard to apply? It's acne, it's eczema, psoriasis, it's athlete's foot. Right. It's it's sleep. And so how do we use those insights and learning to create better products based on that lens that we have that that nobody else does? And, and that's really what I would encourage people to use from an e-commerce perspective of what really sets you apart. Where do you know more 
than anybody else. It's like competitive edge, really. It's a competitive edge and then applying it in, in the commerce environment. Super, super, super interesting. Um, just be- before before I let you go, um, I've I've learned a ton. Um, so so what is the split now? Um, in 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 terms of um, you know, um, retail versus versus commerce. Obviously, Walmart having to launch in every single store across the country must have been a supply chain. <laughs> challenge for you and i know you're you, you had like domestic um you, you have domestic manufacturing in, in north carolina but still as in what was that first order like the <laughs> what was the first purchase order like it must have been you know a, a lot yeah yeah c- kind of astounding right to go from selling pretty much <laughs> one or two units a week to hun- hundreds of thousands right i mean it, it's that order of magnitude We've been very fortunate that we've been able to produce everything here in North Carolina. Our entire supply chain is within an hour and a half from where I'm sitting. And so that's actually helped in this day and age where there's a lot of supply chain issues, a lot of products coming from overseas, is we've been able to swap in and and solve for that, right? Empty pegs because we've yet to, to miss a real shipment because you can walk down or drive down the hall, right? And talk to one of our suppliers and say, hey, we need this. And so we're able to react a lot quicker to opportunities in the, in the marketplace. And, and that's really early on, right? Like you got to bet on yourself. So we, we took a gamble, we took a risk, we raised a little extra capital and we built out the manufacturing, right? Like I would, I would hope and think, right. A lot of the listeners are, are here because they believe in what they're doing. They believe in the vision. And so make a bet on yourself. Right. And, and we scaled manufacturing more than we needed at the time. But that's what allowed us to then launch into Target and launch into CVS and stay ahead of anybody else that's potentially in the market because we had to. Right. Otherwise, we would be in the same supply chain issues as, as everybody else. But again, I'm think about how much time we all spend with building businesses and with building entrepreneurship. And right? it's, it, it's fun. And you're here. Right. You're already making a bet from your time. So why not do it from a resource perspective if you can, because that's what's going to make you uber successful or not. Mm. Speaking of manufacturing, do you think, um, so, so it's a competitive advantage for yourselves. So are these your own, are you contract manufacturing or are these your own facilities? So it's both. So we produce the active yarn. So we've developed a proprietary way of embedding ingredients into yarn. So that's mm-hmm. something that we own. We own our own clean rooms. We manufacture domestically. And then we contract out the garment production. So then that yarn will go on a knitting machine and be turned into a t-shirt or socks or leggings. And that's the part that we contract out. That's all done but, but, here domestic as well. But yarn is the IP. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's how do we embed so active ingredients into yarn? Yeah. Smart. Very, very smart. And, and that way you, you really, really, you know, control control the core because you're they're just weaving it right this is the core 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 material right there exactly. makes Come makes a lot of sense it. yeah so harry's um the the the, the men's um you know shaving brand yeah. they're, they're now more a you know a, a wellness brand now that they, they they cover a lot um when they started they raised capital and um they they were very particular about manufacturing they were not going to 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 import you know from for work with another factory or another sort of partner so they actually just acquired um, factories, facilities that are already making, um, you know, um, um, shavers in, in Germany. 
I think they did two or three. Um, but they, they raised a, a shed ton of, of cash. Yeah. Do you think like ambitious, I wouldn't even say D2C companies, consumer brands need to really have control in or in some parts of the the, the manufacturing um, you know um, process, do you think we're we're well beyond that phase of, or you 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 create a brand around you you import a product, you know you just put put some lips, lipstick essentially on a pig, <laughs> yeah. you know, and um, you you create a brand that whole D to C story, and then you tell a story, and and, and that's it. Do you, do you think that's well behind behind us now? Would it still work? Or um, is the market evolving to a situation in which you not just only have marketing competence front end, but you you also have like IP and manufacturing competence, you know, on, on the back end? Because that th- those are kind of like that's what I'm I'm hearing from from your story. I, th- I think you have to be able to own and have control over your supply chain, right? To this point of making a bet on yourself. If these last couple of years have taught us anything, right, it's a pandemic can happen. Global uncertainty can happen. Ports can shut down. And so if you don't have some control over that, I don't know how you put yourself in a position to scale the business as you need to. Right. One of the ways we were able to react so quickly during the pandemic is we had our own knitting machines and we had our own lab. And so we could able we were able to test products and iterate and react really quickly. If we didn't have that, I don't think we could have gotten to market so quickly. And you look at like PPE and face masks, right? Like one of the reasons the US and a lot of uh, European countries got into an issue is because most of this stuff is made overseas, right? And so uh, when the ports closed and the Chinese market needed all this stuff, there's pretty much nothing left, right? There, there was no domestic ecosystem. And so for, for a lot of products, you have to be able to have some control over your supply chain to be able to scale and plan for market uncertainty. And, and, and that's really where I would say the competitive advantage for us also lies. Um, there's lots of ways to do that, right? Like you don't have to build your own manufacturing facility, right? You could have a very strategic partnership or a joint venture with a manufacturer overseas or somewhere else. But I think you have to have a bigger and more broad relationship than just, hey, we're going on Amazon and buying these things and then converting it or translating it. Because I just think that sets you that sets you up for for a lot of risk, I think, in, in this uncertain market. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jordan, before I let you go, we have a, an evergreen rapid question section. I'm going to ask you five, six questions. And if you could use a single sentence to answer them, we're good. I'll do my best. All right. Good stuff. What advice would you give to yourself five years ago? I don't think I would give myself any advice. I think looking back on how hard and complicated this was, I don't know, people have said you're an overnight success five or 10 years in the making. If I had known that from the beginning, probably wouldn't have done it. Interesting. What book are you currently reading or listening to? Essentialism. It's about how do you prioritize the one or two key things that will really matter 12 months from now or three years from now. Mm-hmm. Thinking long term. Okay. What's been your best mistake to date? By that, I mean a setback that's given you the biggest feedback. Definitely launching the pillowcase product that ultimately failed in the market. And it caused us to develop this platform technology for where we are today. Interesting. Are you a morning person? Nope. 
Uh, I was going to ask you about your daily morning routine. <laughs> <laughs> you can ask me about my evening routine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what two things can't you live without? Definitely a notebook, a notebook and a pad of paper and my laptop. Fantastic. Jordan Schneider, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the 2X e-commerce podcast. Um, for people who want to find out more about new fabrics, um, it's spelled slightly differently. Yeah, it's nufabrx.com. And then you can also look us up, just at new fabrics on, on social media. And by all means, I'm always happy to connect with, with fellow entrepreneurs and people building cool stuff. So you can find me on LinkedIn, just at Jordan Schindler as well. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. We encourage you to connect with our community of 2X e-commerce listeners on our Facebook group, e-commerce growth accelerator mastermind. Just search for 2X e-commerce on Facebook to find it, answer three questions and you'll be approved. Grab the show notes of this episode on our website, 2xecommerce.com. Finally, if you haven't already, give the show a review on your podcasting app. Catch you on the next show and keep growing.